everybody. Welcome to February 7th, 2020 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on Denver International Airport's 25th anniversary, marked by a major expansion by United Airlines, taking 24 of the new available gates from the recent concourse expansion. Patty Calhoun from Westward. I know when I turned 25, I was not at my best. I had a lot of maturing and growing up to do. How's DIA doing on its 25th? GIA was doing a lot better on its 20th before the big expansion plan and then the stalled big expansion plan. But I think against all odds, DIA has been a hit. When We remember before it ever opened, before it was postponed once and twice, that the baggage claim system was eating up bags, you know, the new fangled automated baggage system. That was a mechanical error. The, the concern we have right now is it was a human error that people did not keep their eye on the job, and that's why we are in such a mess still at the main terminal. David Kopel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Uh, at its 25th anniversary, does DIA have more to celebrate or more to worry about? <laughs> well, if you're a traveler, I'd, I'd say more, more the latter. Uh, the, this renovation project that they're doing, which is going to take, it's going to take longer than building the whole thing from scratch took in the first place. A lot of part of the reason for that was apparently when they built it from scratch, maybe they didn't do such a good job like on having solid concrete uh, in places that they should have. It was never an airport that was built for the purpose of air travel. Uh, Stapleton Airport certainly needed additional runways which could have been added at the nearby Rocky Mountain Arsenal. They could have... Stapleton needed a fix-up, but we didn't have to scrap the whole thing and build a whole new airport. That was Mayor Pena's idea uh, for basically a, a big public works project for the, the benefit of the economy. It was, it was never about airline travel. Eric Sonnen, political analyst and weekly columnist at Colorado Politics. Uh, what do you think? DIA turns 25. Uh, is, should it be optimistic about the next 25? Oh, it may be optimistic about the next 25. I think DIA has been maybe an unqualified success or perhaps a qualified success. I think the whole arguments about Stapleton were germane at the time and maybe for a few years after. I don't think, you know, 25 years later, quarter century later, I don't think anyone really doubts now or very few people doubt that building DIA was the right thing. I think Federico Pena has been proved uh, prescient and, 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 and farsighted uh, on that one. Uh, but if the next 25 are good, there's going to be a major hiccup of the next five. I'm not so worried about the next 25. I'm worried about the next five. I think this is going to be more than a hiccup. Uh, I invite uh, viewers here to read my column in Colorado Politics coming this weekend. It touches on DIA. It's about the Hancock third term more generally. Um, this is not good. I don't know what the vision is other than a shopping mall, and I don't know what the plan is to get to that vision or what the budget is other than just exploding and skyrocketing. Penfield Tate is back with us, attorney with Tate Law and a longtime state lawmaker. Uh, Penn, what do you think about its marking its 25th anniversary? There's been a lot of talk about the growth. There's new gates and there's more buildings and hotels and things like that, but that seemed to have come with a lot of growing pains. How do you look at DIA on its 25th? You know, significant growing pains. And, and I think when it's all said and done, um, Eric's right. Um, Federico Pena had the right vision at the right time. We didn't have the capacity to expand Stapleton, despite what people said. Um, DIA was the right thing. We need to remember, we built DIA for less than what it's going to cost to revamp LaGuardia and other airports now. Plus, we have a massive expanse of land to add six more runways and three more um, 
um, concourses. So the room is there. The problem has been mismanagement, quite frankly, and Eric and, and Patty have both hit on that. It's been a disaster for the traveling public for the last two and a half years and will be for the next four to five years. So we'll see. Hopefully, when we get to the 30th year anniversary, everybody will look back and say, we're glad we got through it. <laughs> like usually people in, in their 20s, can't yes. wait to your 30s. <laughs> Presidential politics grabbed most of the headlines this week. President Trump gave his State of the Union speech on Tuesday, and he was officially acquitted in his impeachment trial on Wednesday. Colorado's Cory Gardner voted to acquit, and Representative Ken Buck went as far as to say that Congress should and could begin an impeachment process against former Vice President Joe Biden. Patty Calhoun, uh, we have a lot to unpack here. Uh, the, you take your pick all the way from the you know, Real Housewives of Chesapeake Bay that we saw on Tuesday to everything else we had in, in press conferences and, and new political ideas from Ken Buck. Take your pick. Well, Dominic, um, look, I'm going to ape Nancy Pelosi because I cannot speak the way the president did in his victory speech, his profane victory speech. You won't let it on Colorado Public Television, I don't think. What's amazing is good week for television, if you like that sort of thing, bad week for democracy, I would say. While Iowa was still counting, and we'll get back into that, day after day after day, we had the State of the Union speech, we had Trump not being impeached, we had his victory speech, we had him throwing CNN, or he disinvited CNN from going to his pre-State of the Union speech. We had a lot of profanity, we had... Rush Limbaugh getting the Medal of Honor on TV, or Medal of Freedom on TV, thanks to Melania. I mean, we had some of the craziest moments in American history, not really great moments in American history. David, think about American history. We have had crazier times like this. People think, oh, it's never been this bad. Well, you just got to dig into American history and realize we've had crazier times, but they have rarely been televised. This is some of the crazier times that have been televised. Uh, When we look back at this week, is this something that is going to stick with the American memory, or is this going to fade away in 15 minutes like a lot of the news cycle has in the last couple years? Well, lots of things fade, but I'd say historians from the, the 35th century uh, assuming we don't blow everything up in, in the meantime, um, would would look at, at this week as maybe not a game not not a game changer at all, but as as being typical of what was going on with the decline of the American constitutional republic. And you can look back at the decline of of the the Ro- classical Roman republic, and, and a, a big part of that was all the factions were increasingly disrespectful of the unwritten customs and traditions of the Republic, what they called the Maus Majorum. And we saw a lot of that trashing of traditions and, of, and civility and all that in the State of the Union and, and the associated events around it and, and all sides. And, and the, the, Trump's both a, Trump is a, a symptom of his times, but he's also uh, an instigator. And it, it's, it's unfortunate that so much of the opposite opposition party thinks, well, the way to beat Trump and win the hearts and minds of the American people is to act like a jerk, like he does, instead of acting uh, like a grown-up, which a lot of people might prefer. 
Erica, taking that point, one of the lists of really good ideas that my dad gave me a while back, I remember one of them specifically, you, you never wrestle with a pig, you both get dirty, and the pig likes it. Uh, it, it feels that it, the only thing that was missing from this week was a big WrestleMania open from Vince McMahon. That's the only thing that would have made it more normal. Um, but uh, what did you take away from this crazy week? Oh, I mean, I think you said it, Dominic. I totally agree with what Patty and, and, and David have said uh, before me. I mean, I can't do the announcer, but are you ready to rumble? Uh, your point is, uh, is is dead on the mark. I kept flashing back. I don't know if it was one year ago or two years ago when we did the, the start of the year program and you would ask us for what one word or phrase captured or the year ahead. And my word at that point was tribal. And I think what we've seen over the last week uh, is tribal to the max. And I think our politics are these days so much defined not by what tribe you belong to and what tribe you want to win and advance policy. It's, it's an anti-tribe. You exist to defeat the other side, not necessarily to advance your side. It's, it's negative tribalism, as if there was a, a different kind of tribalism. Uh, it was shameful. It was abs- the theater was often absurd. Your point about Pelosi, I mean, yeah, Trump is a bully. Trump should have shook her hand. Uh, it was a calculated move not to... But her behavior was equally lowbrow. Um, this is supposedly the greatest democracy in the world. I'm having this now put supposedly in bigger and bolder letters all the time uh, at, the, at the behavior of our elected leaders of both parties. And we haven't really talked about impeachment. Uh, simply to Ken Buck, that's absurd to impeach Joe Biden, having nothing to do with his conduct. But the fact is he's not in office. Impeachment is a remedy for people in office. Ken Buck is an attorney, former prosecutor. I think let's at least read the Constitution enough, Ken, to know what the purpose of impeachment is. And let's try to be a little more serious. Let's go to another lawyer. You don't have to speak to if a, a former vice president can be impeached, uh, uh, Penn. But when you look at the week uh, between all the national antics and the, the various Colorado folks making headlines, whether it be Cory Gardner or Ken Buck or Jason Crow as part of the final arguments, what do you take away from the week? You know, I think we all uh, agree we're collectively disgusted at the events of, of, of the, the prior week. Uh, and tribalism... I think Eric raises a good point, but what we all ought to be most disturbed about is how we look in front of the rest of the world. I mean, I, I travel abroad a fair enough, and I remember when George W. Bush was president, people around the world felt sorry for us because they thought he wasn't quite bright. Okay, that, that's a matter of opinion. But now they just think we've lost our collective minds. Um, it is a, a, a mess and a firestorm on TV 24-7, and it's just awful. And we're, we can't get anything done. We can't behave civilly towards one another. It, it, it's just a mess. Now we're trying to impeach people who aren't even in office anymore. It, it's, it's just gotten bizarre. I mean, you made that comment, I think, of... Uh I think the collective hubris we have had as Americans when we see videos years back of it, it probably, and I, I know I'm trying to besmirch any various uh, different countries in Asia, but it could be like a, a Taiwanese or uh, some sort of um, uh, uh, Congress is just going haywire and throws me. It looks like a Jerry oh, yeah. Springer show. Chef banging his yeah, shoe, exactly. You're, you're seeing all this happening. Look, oh, look, <laughs> look at that silly other country yeah. doing this. We're, we're not that far away. We're the silly other country now. That's uh, well said. Well said, Penn.
Iowa held the first Democratic presidential caucus of 2020, and to put it lightly, it did not go well. The reporting app developed here in Denver had problems. That is, again, putting it lightly. Then the reporting phone line was clogged with fake callers inspired by an online post. The almost complete results, again, we just kind of were kind of putting virtual and almost everywhere in this, show that Bernie Sanders won the popular vote and is virtually tied with Pete Buttigieg for the number of delegates. Uh, David, technical errors aside, does waiting for all the results and knowing that we're only a couple days, we're closer to New Hampshire than we are far away from Iowa, does Iowa lose its impact on the presidential primary because of the mess it became? Well, sure. And those, all those poor people on CNN and the other cable channels having to fill air. I mean, you know, I used to feel sorry for the guy who was like covering the baseball game and there was a four-hour rain delay and, you know, you, Let's really talk about the, you know, how the, this guy, the third baseman, is uh, trying to improve his stretching or something, and so uh, adversity for them. Yeah, and of course, it made Iowa less important, and all the people invested so much in it. But I, I think it, it does give ultimately Buttigieg and, and Bernie the the boost they they earned. Uh, the most consequential app meltdown was in the 2012 election, where. Uh, the Romney campaign volunteer app, which had worked very well in the primaries, and they used it like in the afternoons to like let, let's get our make, go back and get our voters out, and that that's how they beat Santorum in, in the primaries. Was that app worked great? Uh, but then you scaled it up nationally, and the whole thing collapsed, and that's why what was a fairly close election as of noon on election day 2012 uh, turned into a much bigger win by o- Obama because they. Their app worked, I guess. And by the way, it's not the first time the Iowa Democratic Party or somebody has screwed up the results. In 1988, uh, Democratic Senator Richard, um, sorry, uh, Paul Simon of Illinois and Democratic Representative Richard Gephardt from Missouri, both next door, were fighting it out. And it was clear that only one of those Midwesterners was going to come out of Iowa with a viable campaign. According to the media, Gephardt won, and that was the end of Paul Simon's campaign. And then a few weeks later, turns out, oh, actually, when we count everything in Iowa, actually, Simon won uh, Iowa that year. Eric, is this the death knell of the caucus system in Iowa? Is this enough embarrassment where they go to a primary? I would think so. I don't know if they go to a primary, but it's the death knell, to my thinking, of the Iowa caucus and the first position. They may maintain their caucus if they really are wedded to it, but it's not going to be, it's not going to look like it has for the last 30 years. To David's point, uh, what happened to Paul Simon? Didn't he team up with Art Garfunkel after all, <laughs> uh, after all that happened and, and had, a, had a great career? Uh, Iowa already, I mean, we're taping at noon on Friday. It seems like uh, it's ancient history. Yeah. There's been so much happened in the interim this week, and obviously it was the slow walk in Iowa. I do think as I commented elsewhere, the winners in Iowa, being Sanders and Buttigieg in whatever order, really sort of became the losers in the sense they didn't get the full benefit. They got some benefit, but not the full benefit of the bounce that you usually get out of Iowa. And the big loser in Iowa, which is uh, Vice President Joe Biden, apparently soon to be impeached, Vice President, former Vice President Joe Biden, in a way became the winner in the sense of he didn't suffer the full consequence that you would normally suffer in Iowa. New Hampshire is coming up. By the time we tape, next time New Hampshire will have happened. Uh, Buttigieg is definitely rising. Biden is trying to hold on and fall. If Biden runs poor again in New Hampshire, 
he keeps saying, wait till South Carolina, wait till South Carolina. South Carolina is 18 days after New Hampshire. That is an endless 18 days. I think he bleeds out in the course of that 18 days in terms of money and in just in terms of negative publicity. So I do think his candidacy is very much on the line next Tuesday. Penn, uh, my first of many follies was to apply any sort of uh, political history to this year. But usually you would see uh, a bunch of candidates go into Iowa. Iowa finishes. The next day, a bunch of people drop out, and then, you, then the, 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 uh, all the weeding begins. That didn't seem to happen this time. I think we had one or two people maybe drop out, but that was it. Does that now, is New Hampshire now the new Alamo, or does that get pushed onto South Carolina? Um, I think it gets pushed to South Carolina because those of us on the grassy knoll are convinced that the Russians have gotten a head start on the 2020 cycle because they hacked the Iowa software and blew up the Iowa caucus. Um, and to Eric's point, the problem is Buttigieg and, and, and Bernie don't get the bump they would, but every other candidate who normally would say, I can't do it, can and say, oh, wow, you know, it was so messed up. I really came in third, but it looks like eighth, but let's keep going. And you can't tell them that they're wrong. And so um, they'll move on to New Hampshire, but I think South Carolina is really the test. What the Democratic Party, I think, has to consider is whether it makes sense to have two of the least diverse states in the country be your bellwether in terms of who your nominee ought to be when you go to Iowa and then go to New Hampshire, or whether you ought to look at reconfiguring the election um, cycle, whether it's caucus or primary, and figure out a way to get a more meaningful result that's reflective of the broader country. Patty, there's this unspoken social contract. America says, Iowa, you will be important for one full year, but you have one job. (laughs) They had one job, and uh, it seems like they failed miserably. What do you think? Well, they did (laughs) have Field of Dreams, which just had its anniversary, its 20th anniversary. So they still have that. No, this is so bad, and it's really bad because it shows we don't need Russia to screw up our election. We can do it all by ourselves. And thank you, Denver. Thank you, Shadow, for running Denver through the mud again. I think the last time we were was Hillary's email yeah. server was here. This is ho- it's bad on so many levels. Uh, Buttigieg and Bernie, they're going to have a bump going into New Hampshire. Bennett smartest guy there was because he spent all his time in New Hampshire and might actually get like 2% of the vote. Let's at least have a grown-up continue and hope he makes it to Super Tuesday. I want to mention one person. We do not have to be suspicious about Denver's elections because someone brought this up at the Academy for Lifelong Learning. They wanted to know why we didn't vote at the Blair Caldwell Library back in May, and it's because we hadn't been there in 15 either, but they are currently looking into where we should vote in 2020. So go to the Denver Election Commission. They have a page where you can put in your public comments to be sure we are not Iowa. (laughs) To be sure. Governor Polis seems to have gotten his way on the paid family leave bill being introduced by Democrats. Some progressive organizations had wanted the bill to establish a social insurance program run by the state. Instead, the bill's sponsors compromise with the governor and business interests and will leave it up to private insurance companies to offer the insurance. Eric, it feels that Governor Polis is flexing a little bit of his political muscle, a little bit more than uh, last session, uh, stating where he wants to go on something, then the legislature expected to move that way. Um, this is far from being over. This is just the first step in this. But is it a sign of Governor, uh, Governor Polis and his influence moving forward? 
I think it's a sign of Governor Polis having a very, very different governing style than his predecessor, John Hickenlooper. John Hickenlooper was much more hands-off, wait till the legislature did their business, made the sausage, and put it on his desk. Uh, Jared Polis gets in there, and he gets his hands dirty, and he tells the legislature what he wants, what he will find acceptable, and what he won't find acceptable. Uh, viewers and voters can decide which of those styles they prefer, but this is very much uh, the Polis style. He digs down much deeper into the weeds of whether it's the weeds of state government or the weeds of legislating. The notion of a compromise here, what a, what a foreign concept, particularly based on what we've been talking about, about the spectacle in D.C. As you point out, Dominic, the bill still has a long way to go. We're still not much past the starting line. There is the prospect, if it doesn't go through this time, that uh, at least it's been threatened that they will take it to the ballot in the form of a ballot issue. So that is also hanging out there. But uh, the idea of not creating a new state fund, state agency, state bureaucracy for this, uh, I think has some merits, and that's where Governor Polis came down. Penn, I'm curious, as a former lawmaker, uh, as you see this go down, what's your perspective, and uh, is it, uh, does it make sense to you? No, it does, and, and actually this is one of the things I admire about Governor Polis, and his style is different. When you're a legislator, it helps to know where the governor stands. You can get 33 in the House and 18 in the Senate, but if the one downstairs is going to veto it, you've wasted everybody's time. So I like the fact, and, and you know, the governor started this last session. I mean, he got sworn in, what, two days before the session started? And he was already saying, full day kindergarten, and I want this and I want that. The benefit is, as a legislative body, you know what does or doesn't pass muster, and no one wants to spend a lot of time on bills that get vetoed. And so I, I, I kudos to Governor Polis and his team for taking this approach. I don't agree with them on everything, but this style works for Polis. It worked for Bill Owens, who I really agreed with, and it worked tremendously for Roy Romer. Uh, Patty, what do you think this tells us both of uh, Governor Polis and his influence and also the legislature being, really, being, being willing to work with him? Well, it reminds us that Polis was a businessman, started businesses, did well. And if you've been listening to people around Colorado, I've never had so many small business people complaining about just impossible conditions, even though the way the economy is going is good. I mean, they are having property tax issues because of the Gallagher Amendment. Huge property taxes. People are talk saying they're going to have to shut down in Denver or leave. If you're a restaurant, you've got the minimum wage with the tip credit issue. This family leave issue is huge for them. And I think Polis is listening not just to his own instinct, but to people who are around him and said, we cannot go as far as we were going to go with a state insurance policy. Will they come up with a compromise? I don't think so. Not one that will go through, and I think we might see something on the ballot brought by activist groups. David, is this going to be one of these issues that you think a lot of uh, legislative Republicans, or at least candidates, are going to be excited that Democrats are tackling this year because it provides fuel for their fire this November? Oh, probably because uh, there, there's a f faction of the Democratic Party that is just completely out to lunch economically. Uh, George McGovern was a great left-wing senator from South Dakota for three terms, Democratic presidential nominee in 72, sort of the, which is the last time where the, the party's left really defeated the party's moderates straight up in a presidential nomination contest. After leaving the Senate, he 
ran a hotel in Connecticut and then wrote an op-ed about it in the Wall Street Journal and said, boy, you know, if, if I had had this experience before I came into the Senate and knowing like how tough it is when you're the guy who's got to make the payroll and if the cash isn't there, then, you know, I got a hundred, you know, maids and gardeners who aren't going to get paid. He said, if, if I'd understood that, when I was in the legislature, I would have had a very different approach to things. He still would have been a lefty, but he would have been much more understanding of the crushing burdens that can get imposed on small business. Let's get to our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. And as always, Ms. Calhoun, please start us off. The Aurora Police Department is having some trouble disciplining its members. I understand why George Brockler had problems trying to charge criminally the cop who was passed out in the middle of his car at lunchtime, who registered five times the legal limit for alcohol because he hadn't learned about it until all the witnesses were gone. It was 200 days later, but shame on the Aurora police for that episode. David. Well, uh, Senator Mitt Romney is earning some some praise in some quarters, and I understand that that point of view. But I'll just remind the, the folks who are praising him now that the viciousness of the campaign against him in 2012, the Girlless, malicious attacks on his character. That is one of the reasons why Donald Trump was elected in 2016, is a lot of people saw what was done to Romney in 2012, and you said, you know what, all this like Marcus Queensberry, you know, behave like a gentleman, act civil, didn't work very well. We need somebody who fights dirty too. Eric. I think the theme of this show, to quote David, has been the decline of tradition and civility in this country. So how about two dynamic duos, uh, Shakira and J-Lo uh, <laughs> last uh, Sunday, and then Donald Trump and Nancy Pelosi on Tuesday night? Penn. Um, I, I share Patty's point of view, and, and I will be fair. Some members of the Aurora Police Department need to go. This interim chief needs to fire a bunch of people. Um, when your own DA, George Brockler, who is not a bleeding heart, gets on TV and, and basically says it was a cover-up and it's shameful, people need to be fired. Time to say something nice about somebody. Patty? Well, because I can, <laughs> I'm going to say something nice about Mitt Romney, who came out with a very statesmanlike speech. He went against every other Republican, and he was willing to be honest and take a hit. Also, Jason Crow, who did a fabulous job and really acquitted Colorado well, unlike, say, the Shadow app. David. Senator Michael Bennett, who's at least giving people in New Hampshire who are would A, like to win the general election, and B, are somewhat rationally connected with, with what's possible versus what can be promised uh, to the gullible masses. Um, at least they've got somebody to vote for. Eric. Yes, to Michael Bennett, but I'm the same place Patty is. I think you have to give it this week to Mitt Romney. Uh, honor, dignity, principle, conscience is in very rare supply these days. He exhibited it. Penn. Uh, I'm with Eric and Patty, and I'll go a little bit further to, to David's point. Romney was savaged when he was the Republican nominee for president. There's no question about that. But he was savaged in the primary process as well as the general election. And it wasn't fair because he's a decent man. He, to me, evokes memories of John McCain, somebody with a backbone who look you in the eye and call it straight and go against his party because he feels that that's the way to make sure his party has integrity. I thought Romney was fantastic, and he ought to be given credit for that. History will, 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 will speak well of him. 
Before we go, I want to be sure to tell you all about a special program coming up next week. Remember how I told you about our special Colorado Inside Out on the road that we filmed last week? Well, if you were not able to make it in person, now you have a chance to check it out. Next Friday, February 14th at 9 p.m., for all the romantic folks out there, set your DVR. That's when we're going to broadcast our Colorado Inside Out on the road special. We take the first half hour to look at some big election issues for this year, and then the second half hour we get some great questions from the audience at the One Day Academy for Lifelong Learning. It's also available on online at cpt12.org right now. If you can't wait, you want to check it out. That is all the time we have for this episode of Colorado Inside Out. For everybody here at CPT12 and, the, and Colorado Inside Out, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for watching. Good night.